Hello over there. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. We're here every week at this time, and the name of the show is From Across the Pond. Tell them why we call it Across the Pond. We record it right here on the east coast of the United States, right uh, on the other side of the big Atlantic pond there. And uh, we're, we're actually recording on the campus of Cabrini University next door to Eastern University. We've kind of got this this wonderful bridge between the historically Protestant and Catholic universities. And it's right here that we record our show but, and, and we talk about G- Jesus and justice. We love talking about red letter Christianity. Uh, the, the, the old Bibles that have the words of Jesus highlighted in red, we think those words have everything to say to the world we live in right now. So we're trying to imagine what, what, what the, uh, would the world look like if we took the words of Jesus literally. We have Rabbi Odersteen on the show today, and this is really important. Not every day we get to have a no, rabbi no, on no. here. Yeah. And more important, it should be known to our listeners around the world that uh, the justice message that Jesus articulated for the most part, was taken right out of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, He quotes uh, the Hebrew prophets over and over again, uh, particularly uh, prophets like Isaiah. Uh, He deals with Micah. He deals with Amos. He deals with these great Hebraic figures uh, that became part of his uh, DNA. And uh, uh, he brought a dimension of uh, Hebrew justice to Gentiles, The Gentiles did not understand justice like the Jews did until Jesus came along. And Jesus took the Hebrew scriptures and said, hey, Gentiles, listen to what the Hebrew scriptures say over and over referring to them. And it's good to have you on the show. It's great to be here. And uh, I didn't realize that you guys sort of entrapped me. Um, We're we're going to talk about about a lot of things and about, about Jerusalem and coming home and you didn't tell me that you were going to do this from Cabrini University. I was born in Mother Cabrini Hospital in Whoa. New York City. <laughs> well, so so there you go. Well, obviously they were not anti-Semitic at Cabrini Hospital. Right. <laughs> they brought a good Jewish kid into the world. Uh, let's talk about the fact that you were living out in L.A., and over the last year you've moved back to Jerusalem. Why and how has this impacted you? Well, I I think the the, the chief reason is uh, is a good dosage of uh, Jewish guilt. Uh, Jews can feel guilty about anything, and uh, I, I think I grew up uh, in the in the shadow of the Holocaust. My mother is a survivor, one of the first people deported from southern Germany when the Nazis weren't quite sure what they were going to do with them. And uh, you know, before I was born, the state of Israel was born. This was a dream come true. Uh, a dream of uh, Jews for 2,000 years who had never departed from the land but not had autonomy or semi-autonomy over the land. And, you know, you, you look at the world around you and you ask, what does God want of me? And how do, what do I make of new developments? Uh, you know, this is something that I, I really take my hat off to, to both of you. I've gotten to know both of you in, 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 uh, in the, over the last couple of years. And in in different ways, you've just been so responsive to things going on in the world and ask yourself the question, what, what does God want of me today that wasn't true 50 years ago because the world has changed? For me as a Jew, watching this wonderful state rise from the ashes of the Holocaust and become a, a, a world leader and a place that collected Jews from all over the world and 
went from a third world country to a first world country, which is so thrilling. How could I not be part of it? So I'd always dreamed of it, and finally I did it. And I, what I found is that it is, I had this great sense of, of coming home, of finally belonging to something that was, that was, really, that was really mine. This is going to sound kind of goofy, but I, but I love everything about the place. I love, I love Jewish manhole covers and, and Jewish garbage cans. And it's, it's con- being conscious of what it means to be an outsider for, for 2,000 years. This is just so terrific. And, and coming at a time when I, I work for an institution that tries to build bridges to other communities, particularly to Christian communities, it's like everything is coming together. I'm in the holy city and able to speak to Jews and to non-Jews. I have Muslim friends. It's, it's, it's great. This is, you know, sorry for the mixed metaphor, but nirvana. You know, I don't want to mispronounce your name, and I always do mispronounce it. Pronounce it correctly for all of our listeners. Well, don't even try the first one. That's Yitzchak. I got that uh, one. I actually have that one. And, and okay. the last one is Adlerstein. Okay. And uh, a dear rabbi, did you go, you went to rabbinical school, didn't you? Sure. Where did you do that? I did it in a uh, place called the Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim in Forest Hills, New York. Now I've heard of it. Garden Hills, New York. Uh, named after one of the most famous Jews of late 19th century, early 20th century Europe, famous to this day in his little Polish village of, uh, of Rodden, where he, where he was uh, celebrated uh, by Jews and non-Jews alike as a kind of saint. Um, I did many years there, and then God was good to me, got me out of New York, and I spent uh, 39 wonderful years in Los Angeles. You know, it's very interesting to me when I talk to you, because um, uh, to say that Shane and I are upset with uh, our new president, uh, Donald Trump, is is an understatement. Having said that, we see all these negative things, but you see all kinds of positive things, particularly insofar as it affects the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Could you comment on the positive things that you see in Donald Trump? <laughs> That's a loaded question, isn't it? That's totally loaded. I find as loaded as it gets right there. <laughs> yeah. But you do see positive things, don't you, Rabbi? Look, there's, there's positive in everything, and, and probably a little bit of negative as well. I think that was a consequence of, of the first sin in which uh, I think Jews would hyphenate uh, the Hebrew phrase as good and evil, with hyphens in between, that the mm. clarity that we had before between good and evil uh, became obscured, and now there's a little bit of good and some evil, and there's a little bit of evil and some good. With that, with that in mind, Donald Trump did a number of very, very good things for the, for the state of Israel. First of all, it, it, it is very clear, dog whistles aside, and I'm not minimizing them, he himself is not an anti-Semite, cannot be an anti-Semite, and that's somewhat reassuring. The 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 um, moving of the consulate to um, to Jerusalem didn't improve Israel's security, but it was a shot in the arm to the average Israeli. It meant that at least one country on earth got the idea that Jews should be allowed to pick their capital as as much as any other people. Uh, the 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 idea that moving the moving the embassy to Jerusalem somehow precluded 
uh, a future Palestinian state from having a capital in the same city is, is, is nonsense. It's a big city, and uh, there's lots of room in East Jerusalem for, uh, for a Palestinian capital as well. So to recognize that, that Jews should be entitled to have the capital that they chose, the historical capital of, of Israel, from which we did not move for over 3,000 years, was a, a shot in the arm for the average Israeli, and people are grateful for that. That's, that's a positive. And may I say uh, that uh, uh, he's been very sympathetic. His, his son-in-law, of course, is Jewish, and uh, his daughter, I think, uh, converted to Judaism. Is this not true? She did. She did. So he's, he's not an anti-Semite, and uh, he wasn't an anti-Semite even before the conversion. And, uh, yeah. You know, there's lots to talk about, about Donald Trump, but you've probably done a lot of that before. Yeah. Well, he, he upsets a lot of us, but uh, not so much in terms of what you just suggested. We get upset with the fact that both the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Scriptures uh, have a bias for the poor. And uh, the, old, uh, the Hebrew prophets uh, talked about the fact that we will be judged by how we treat the poor, and we will be judged on how we treat the alien who comes to live in our midst. And so uh, a lot of our social justice themes about uh, immigrants uh, come from uh, the Hebrew Scriptures and uh, from Jesus. Uh, and uh, so uh, that, that really is very important to me. Uh, when you mentioned uh, the, what happened in 1948 when the nation of Israel was born, I was a little boy in, in elementary school at the time. And uh, my father, I don't know whether I ever told you this, moved us out of South Philadelphia to West Philadelphia because he wanted me to go to school with Jewish kids. Because if I stayed with the Italians in South Philadelphia, I'd party all the time because that's what Italian kids do. <laughs> and he said, I want you to be with Jews. Here's something very profound. He said, if you want to compliment a Catholic priest, you say, He's a very holy man. If you want to compliment a Protestant minister, you say he's a great preacher. If you want to compliment a rabbi, you say he's a very learned man. That emphasis on learning. My father wanted me to get that. So all my friends, my wife will tell you, all my friends in high school, every one of them is Jewish. And uh, it had an effect on me. It made me into a scholar. Kids came home from school before we went out to play. We did our homeworks. Uh, it was always that way. So uh, I remember when the state of Israel was born in the elementary school, which had 1,500 kids, of which only 80 of us were non-Jews. The jubilation that went up in the place was awesome. But before that, I remember at the end of World War II when they uncovered the mess in Dachau and the mess in Auschwitz, and these Jewish kids realized that their uh, Jewish uh, compatriots were, had suffered this unspeakable suffering. I remember the sadness, and the, I didn't fully understand it. I didn't understand how completely these Jewish kids I was going to school with identified with the Jewish people who suffered under the Holocaust. You can comment on your own reactions. Um. The, uh, the thing that's hard for Jews to understand today is how some of that 
some of that euphoria and jubilation in 1948 uh, vanished in, in less time than we would have been comfortable with. Uh, all of us were aware, that I means Jews and Gentiles alike in 1948, that, that the Christian world had quite a bit to do with the run-up to the Holocaust. It wasn't the first mass persecution of Jews, although it was you know, light years worse than anything before. But, but Jews had been under the gun, uh, so to speak, of, of the Christian world for 2,000 years. And, and Hitler spoke openly of how he hoped to enlist the masses in doing his, his work of extermination, and he was successful in it. And uh, Christianity had a good, had a good uh, deal to do with that, so much so that after the Holocaust, in the immediate years after the Holocaust, virtually every church in the West decided that they were going to do something to build bridges to the Jewish community. Um, the Catholic Church probably did the best job because they have rules. They're hierarchical. Once they they come up with a policy, it'll take another 2,000 years to change. And under John the 23rd, and then Nostra Aetate and John Paul the Second, the uh, the Catholic Church turned their back on elements of Christ of, of of Christianity, whether authentic or not, which were part of the Christian experience and were responsible for oceans of Jewish blood. Um, I'm talking about things going back to the second century. Uh, Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch, uh, began the what's called today supersessionism, a replacement theology, the idea that that Jews had their their moment in the sun and they blew it, and they had been replaced by by Christians who were the new Jews. But the old Jews had really no place left in history, so they were consigned to a to a trash heap of history. Around the same time, Justin Martyr introduced the charge of the collective guilt for the crucifixion, something that I don't understand and no Christian I know understa understands. Um, most of us thought that the, the teaching of the New Testament is that Jesus died for the sins of all people, and that all people were guilty, and you can't point the finger at anybody more than anybody else, particularly people who weren't born at the time. But the idea that Jews were collectively guilty uh, for, the, for the death of Jesus is something that, that I lived with. I used to get beaten up by the Irish Catholics on the way home from school, uh, living in Manhattan. In the, uh, but in but the, the Protestants have their own problems. We have Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, uh, Zwingli. These people all said horrible things about Judaism. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Eric Fromm writing about uh, the rise of Nazism uh, argues that uh, the seeds for Nazism were really sown by the reformers who has said things about Jewish people. I don't, I, I'm not going to repeat them. They're too terrible and should not be repeated. But uh, we have, we should be uh, experiencing a collective guilt, Catholics and Protestants, and I think Protestants even more than Catholics. So uh, we've got a, got a lot of repenting to do as we deal with the Jewish community. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm against collective guilt, both for Jews and for Protestants and for Catholics. I, th I think that lots of people uh, did a, a good deal of soul-searching after the Holocaust and, and made some very, very positive uh, steps. Uh, I give a talk in some places called Why, Why Some Jews Still Don't Trust Christians and Why They Should. Uh, a lot of positive work was done. There's, there, there are some, 
some counterindications and movements in the other direction. And of course, not everything that you teach people are they going to are they going to learn. Um, the the uh, Catholic Church, as I said, did the best the best job, and they declared anti-Semitism a sin, and they said that Jews not only don't have collective guilt, but that God's covenant with the Jews never substantially changed. Uh, despite the uh, the idea of of uh, Christianity being grafted onto the uh, the, the the tree of, of of Judaism, but God never turned his back on the Jewish people. All that was good, but uh, a lot of stuff kind of never never went away. Never trickled um, down. Yeah. Uh, if we need to do we, a we station need to, break, we need to just pause for a second to to sure. thank everybody that's joining us. Maybe some of you just tuned in. Uh, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond. And we're, ev- we're on every uh, week at this time, and we get to talk with some really interesting guests. Uh, this, this week, we've got Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein, and he's a dear friend. He's an incredible brother. We, we, I, I like to fondly just call him Rabbi Yitz, uh, but he's <laughs> um, a wise uh, uh, rabbi. And, you know, before we, before we go back to um, uh, thinking about you, you, you've just moved back to um, Israel um, you know, coming back home here in, in in the United States, you mentioned that Donald Trump is not uh, an anti-Semite, and you know we're not certainly wanting to judge anyone's heart. But when we look at the state of our country right now, what seems really clear is that um, during this era of of Trump's presidency, white supremacy has really been emboldened. Um, and you know, you you mentioned that we can't take lightly. Uh, the the dog whistles um, and sometimes they're they're um, subtle and sometimes they're very overt. Uh, when we saw the white supremacists um, and and Nazis, you know, march in Charlottesville and say Jews will not replace us, chanting that, and the president's response was that you know that they're good people on both sides. A, a young woman was killed there. You you know this, Rabbi Yitz. You know, but you you look at that. I mean, here in Philadelphia, we had a Jewish cemetery that was. Uh, uh, vandalized. We had someone cut off the head of a pig and dump it in front of a mosque. So it's not limited to the Jewish community, but it surely feels like uh, white supremacy and racism has been emboldened. And as Christians, like, you know, we're looking inside of our own tribe and going, I am deeply troubled that many evangelical Christians are supporting the same person as the KKK. And uh, almost every uh, but he seems to know that Donald Trump is racist, except for the Christians right now. I mean, David Duke, you know, former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, like, uh, is a big fan, and that 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 troubles me. You know, so I, you know, we have that scripture that says, "Out of the um, heart, the 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 mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart." And I, I'm very concerned about the emboldening of of white supremacy and the fruits of that for. Uh, Jewish folks and for Muslims and others in our country right now, do you do you see that same concern? Let, let me pose a question to you, and uh, I, I realize maybe I shouldn't be doing this as a white guy speaking to two other white guys, but imagine if you were if you were a black person today in America, would you have more to fear from the Ku Klux Klan and people like them, or from the subconscious? and the unconscious hostility that white Americans still have for their black brothers. Oh, my. Oh, my. 
That's a good question. To me, it's not even a question. I don't have to think about that for half a second. I know as a Jew, I, I fear not the guy who comes into the synagogue and shoots it up. Yeah, we, can, we have to worry about them, and there are more of them out there, and we can protect ourselves. But I think we've suffered a lot more from the subconscious hostility of people who don't even realize that they harbor it. Well, I think that's true of black people. I think it's true of Jews. And I think that's where you folks may be underestimating just the sheer amount of good that you've already done and that you can continue to do. I don't think all the, the all of our discussion on the radio is going to move the hardcore racists. Um, but America is a, America is a different country today than it was 50 years ago. There is more tolerance. There is more acceptance of people who are different. There is more acceptance of the immigrant. A lot of that has to do with people like you who've been showing people the right way, the right way to live. The, the fact that we can point to the really, really bad guys and the fact that um, these folks are gaining in, in popularity, in their, in their, in their aggressiveness – gives us an opportunity to teach everybody else there but for the 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 grace of god go i so I so you know it, my, i mean myself. it is how much I, of that do i have my uh, in, in me myself i like that you're so positive i really do and and i think that we have a lot the, the people are talking about stuff that we uh, a lot of folks haven't talked about um but we're we're not really talking about folks that are wearing white hoods and robes anymore i mean you know some folks have been really um attacked for saying that the the MAGA hats, the Make America Great Again hats, are the new, uh, the 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 new hoods, you know. But you look at that this viral video of the uh, Covington Catholic uh, school kids um, in Washington D.C. and as they are uh, uh, chanting um, the the you know they're they're making the the uh, tomahawk signals ridiculing, and they're ridiculing, ridiculing a, a, Native a Native elder. American. Um, and I mean, they're high school kids, but they're also wearing the, the make America great again hats. And there, there, there is a, a, a certain, um, hostility that is just un, unmistakable, even with all of the, uh, uh, the controversy of that video. And you look at like the ways that I think we see that today, like when, when you hear make America great again, I think many people of color go, when was when was America great for black folks? You know, and what that really means to a lot of people is make America white again, uh, because, the, you know, we're, we're thinking like America has yet to become what uh, uh, th th this dream that we you know kind of sometimes think that we're returning to. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to have this, the completion of that dream until the Messiah comes. And then uh, probably Jews and Christians are going to go at each other for a couple of uh, minutes saying, I told you so, I told you so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for him anyway. We're not going to find perfection on earth, but America is still the country that lots, hundreds of millions of people around the world dream of coming to. No question. Imperfect or not. No and question. We're a country that has always made progress. And we've made more progress in the last half of the 20th century than probably any we're other just, time in our history. I guess Shane and I are afraid that we may be in retrogression right now. But that's well, I think, another I think story. the way that we measure that is by how the most vulnerable people in our society are doing, yeah. not how the Dow is doing. Yeah. And I, I'm really, I am really concerned about, uh, uh, I mean, right now we have neighbors that don't know if they're going to get food stamps next month. And that, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, just, you got about a minute and a half. Uh, 
hope for Israel and Palestinians living together in peace. What do you see as a possible solution, and what is your hope? Um, my, my hope is that some of the, um, some of the education is going to change, particularly on the, on the Palestinian side, where people, where kids are still told that Israel is an illegitimate state and maps don't include Israel. The, the source of hope is that when you see in the streets of Jerusalem, and all the more so around the country, Jews, Christians, and Arabs who live together, who ride the same trains, who shop in the same supermarket, who help each other out if somebody gets a flat tire, who serve on the same medical emergency teams, when people can relate to each other as people, not as politicians relate to them, and there are those opportunities in growing, growing numbers of encounters. The politicians on both sides, well, much more on the Palestinian side, try to suppress it and say we don't want anything looking like normalization, but it does happen. When the quality of life of people improves, and there are, there are people doing business with each other and partners in business, and they relate to each other as people sharing a common space. You really do have hope for the future and not just for the future. On that future. happy note, when <laughs> that positive sound, we're going to say goodbye to our dear friend, Rabbi Alderstein, and uh, say thank you for being on the show. And thank you folks out there across the pond for listening. Blessings on all of us. In the name of Jesus, we say Blessings, blessings, blessing. We're in Israel. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Have a good day, everybody.